I want to do justice to the content of the book of John and the book of Romans. I want to give reasons why we print John and Romans. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. Let me give a background to the book of John just briefly. There are four Gospels in the New Testament. Technically, there are three synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John. Some people argue, and in their instruction, they say there are four synoptic Gospels. That's not totally true. There are three Gospels that are the same. The synoptic of the term, synoptic, means that these three are essentially the same content in general. They're not 100% that because Matthew has 28 chapters, Mark has 16 chapters, and Luke has 24 chapters. So it's not possible that these books that have these various chapter numbers can be identical. But the major heart and thrust of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the same. For instance, the Olivet Discourse is in all three of those books, but it does not show up in the book of John. There are certain bits of information also that's important. For instance, there's a genealogy and the details of the birth of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke, but there is no detail of the birth of Jesus in the book of Mark. There's a reason for that, and there's not either any details of the birth of Christ in the book of John. The book of Matthew shows Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the King of the world. So Matthew presents him as a king, and kings have ancestry. They have birthplaces and times. Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man, and the genealogy there goes all the way back to Adam. And the book of Luke, and some believe that Luke was not Jewish, that he was Gentile. That debate will go on for a long time. But be that as it may, the book of Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man and the Savior of all mankind. The book of Matthew is more directed toward the Hebrew people than the book of Luke is. But Luke gives the birth of Christ. Mark, on the other hand, presents Christ as a servant. And slave servants don't have genealogies. So there's no genealogy in the book of Mark. And who can find a genealogy for God? Jesus was God in the flesh. And the difference between biblical Christianity and the rest of the religions of the world is this focal figure named Jesus. If He was but a man, that's all He was. And Matthew presents Him to a great degree as a man, a king. Mark presents Him more of a man as a servant. Luke presents Him more as a man like other men in that He is linked to the first Adam. But John, that's a different story. The book of John presents Jesus Christ in a totally different light than the other Gospels present Him. The book of John is the genesis of the New Testament. If you've read the book of Genesis, you know that the book of Genesis begins, in the beginning, God. That's how the book of Genesis begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A little bit later on, and God said, let us make man in our image. Who were the others? Or is God talking to the Godhead? Without a doubt, I believe he's talking to the Godhead. John begins in the beginning. Look at those three words, and you go back to Genesis 1, you'll find those three words. In the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. So the book of John gives us the Genesis in the New Testament. Not the Genesis of the New Testament, but the Genesis in the New Testament. It takes us all the way back to the beginning. You've heard me express my opinions about our exploration of outer space for extraterrestrials and other beings and life forms out there. And I've argued for years. 
and I think we are wasting taxpayers' money to go searching for other life forms when we deny the existence of God. How dare us deny the existence of God while we go looking for life forms? God's the most living being in all of the universe and outside and beyond the universe. In the beginning was the Word. There are some strange things here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's not tricky language. That's stating all the facts as they need to be stated. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God, meaning a part of the Godhead, was with the Godhead. And the Word was God to prove that He was a part of the Godhead. This word in English is translated from a Greek word, logos, L-O-G-O-S. This is the logos. You'll see that word used in a lot of Christian publications and various other things. As a matter of fact, one publishing house calls itself the logos publishing house. You'll find this word logos in hundreds of places in the New Testament. I think over 500 times you'll find the word W-O-R-D. But seven times it's spelled with a capital W. Seven times. Only seven. Four of them are right here in John chapter 1. The other two, or three rather, are in a few other places. First John and Revelation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Look at this very carefully. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was not a Johnny-come-lately when He was born in Bethlehem. He was not some religious founder. And a major reason for using the book of John is in a small compact book, we can communicate the truth, the reality of who Jesus Christ was. He was God. Look at verse 14 of this chapter. And the Word was made flesh. Now let me tell you what that tells me. Before He's made flesh, He wasn't flesh, but He was. He existed before He was made flesh. He's the eternal existing One. He never had a beginning and He'll never have any end. I don't know how I can communicate this because God's impossible to communicate in, in His total essence. But when God said, let us make man in our image, words were spoken by the Godhead. The book of John tells me what was going on. The book of John says all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. When God said, let there be, that's the Word. The creative power of God was through His Word. And the Word The Word was the Son of God, my Savior, my Lord, my Master. You know I put such stock in the Word of God? Because you can't separate it from Jesus. And the book of John tells that like no other book in the Bible. And if we want to communicate the message of who Jesus was, you choose in a compact portion, you choose the most ideal portion to communicate all that you can communicate about who He was. Because our desire is not to spread some brand of so-called Christianity. Our desire is to introduce the Son of God, the Savior, the Creator of the universe, and the only one that can save a sinner from their sin, the Son of God. We want the world to know Him. No book in the Bible does it any better than the book of John. The Word became flesh. He's the Word of God in chapter 1, verse 1. He's the Lamb of God in verse 29. Look at it. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Word that created all things. Listen, don't get this lost in your mind. The Word that created all things bowed low enough to take on human form, but even as a human, He came as a Lamb. When that infant body 
was seen by the shepherds in the stable. They looked on the face of just a little infant that might appear like any other infant they might look at. But inside that little body was the eternal living Word of God. The Lamb ready to be slain. Jesus didn't come into the world to conquer when He came the first time. He'll return to do that. But He came the first time to present Himself as the Lamb of God. That's why we need to communicate this message. Give them the book of John and let people read and let the Holy Spirit guide them to these verses that state who He was and who He is. In verse 34, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And boy, do there ever arise debates when you get to this phrase, the Son of God. You see that phrase in lots of places in the Bible, the sons of God in the book of Job, book of Genesis, the sons, plural, of God. Jesus was just one of the sons of God. No, He wasn't. He was the only begotten Son of God. And there's a difference between just being sons of God and the only begotten Son of God. But it's stated very clearly here, here He is seen as the Son of God. Verse 49, Rabbi, Thou art the Son of God, Thou art the King of Israel. You and I pray for the Jews. We support a missionary in the state of Israel. The Jews need to find their king. They've been searching for centuries. They need to find their king. They won't find him until they focus on this person. For God said it again and again and again, all through the Old Testament, I will be your salvation. I will be your king. Samuel, they have rejected me from being their king. They want a king like other people, but I am their king. They've rejected me. And Jesus came into His own, and His own received Him not. He came. He's the King of Israel. Rejected for time being. But there's going to be a day of unbelievable glory when they acknowledge who their King is. That's a bright day. And here in the book of John, this first chapter. Now, I'm going to cover five chapters this morning. Chapter 2. You know what shows up in this chapter that's significant? We could talk about the marriage of Canaan. This is the first miracle Christ performed. By the way, He didn't make intoxicating drinks. If you count up these firkins and convert them to gallons, He made 135 gallons of drink. That's a lot of drink. Now, either that was a big wedding, or else if He made intoxicating drink, there's a bunch of drunk partying people at the end of that wedding. And nobody convinced me that was Jesus. He didn't do that kind of thing. So, let's go on to what is greatly significant in this chapter. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. Passover is one of the most critically important things in the history of the nation of Israel. And it's one of the most important things in the Bible. Why is that so? Because the Passover is the type that God set up in the Old Testament to show how the Lamb of God would be slain in order to make it possible for God to pass over the houses of the people and not bring the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Passover, the first time it was observed, was when God's angel of death passed over the houses who had blood sprinkled on their doorposts and their door mantles. And we have our song, When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. 
This is the beginning, the introduction that is so critically important about how our salvation operates. Our salvation is not by our works. It's not by any good deed that I have done. It's not by any works of righteousness which we may do, but it is entirely on the basis of the shed blood of the Lamb of God. God the Father can pass over us because of His Son. And you have not only the Passover, but you have the house of God in this verse. And Jesus Christ came as the cleanser of the house. If anyone's going to clean up things in our churches, it has to be Jesus. He's the old broom that knows where all the dirt spots are in the house. He's been around the longest. Longer than any human being. Someone says, we need to buy a new broom. No, we don't need a new broom. The old broom knows where all the dirt wipers collect. He's the cleanser of the temple. Look at the passages. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. When you get to chapter 3, oh, is this chapter cram-packed. There is no chapter in all the Bible any more important on the matter of salvation than John chapter 3. A religious man came to Jesus, and Jesus said to that religious man, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only can he not see it, he can't get in. If there's anything significant in this third chapter about Jesus Christ that's important and why we use the book of John, and give it as a portion to the unsaved. It's because in this third chapter of the book of John, it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that religion cannot get anybody into the kingdom of heaven. Now, mark it down. Religion can't. I don't care if you're talking about Protestant religion, Catholic religion, Judaism, if you're talking about the Muslim religion, if you're talking about the Hindu religion. Religion doesn't get people in. Only a birth by the Holy Spirit gets us into the kingdom of God. This chapter talks about it. If there's a chapter needed for the unsaved, it's John chapter 3. Jesus said in verse 14, The Son of Man must be lifted up. Speaking of His crucifixion. And then the verse that's probably the most familiar to most people around the world is John 3.16. That's probably one of the first verses people memorize. Anyone ever wonder why it's John 3.16? There's a politician. I could give you his name. That's not significant. Maybe a should. He, he lost the presidency last time, in case you're wondering. Tried to quote John 3.16 during campaign trail. And boy, did he ever get it messed up. Which proves that he was not totally there. For God. We come back to God no matter where we go. When you talk about salvation, you've got to go to God. You can't go to denominations or religions or these systems. You can't go to clergymen. You can't go to priests. You've got to go to God for salvation. Because salvation originated with Him. For God so loved the world. The gospel we preach is a gospel rooted in love. Aren't you glad God loves you? Everyone in here needs love. I don't care who you are. Or me. We all need love. And I'm not talking about this smoochy, smoochy kind of stuff that gets people wound up and revved up and then doesn't last. I want you to know there's a love that never disappears. It never disappears. And that's the love of God. For God so loved. How big is the soul in your love? For God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son. What a message to tell the world. You'll believe in Him. You'll not perish. You'll have everlasting life. That's why we give the book of John. Because of John 3.16. Verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. 
He didn't need to send him to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't need me to preach you into condemnation. You're already condemned. And God sent His Son so that the condemnation might be removed. I love the book of Romans in companion with this matter of condemnation. Look at verse 17. God sent not His Son into the world, condemned the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. You know what Romans 8 says? There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. What a companion set of books. One tells me why God sent His Son to remove the condemnation. And the other book, Romans, says in Christ there is now no condemnation. And somebody can take the book of John, chapter 3, verses 16 17, read it to them, and turn them over to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 1. Now, I want you to see, this is the way to get free from all guilt and condemnation. And I know that's true. How many of you sinned some wicked sins? You don't have to raise your hand, because I know all of us have. And what we don't think is real wicked, God says it's as filthy rags. But the condemnation and the guilt is gone. Gone in Christ. That's why the book of John is so important. Let's go on to chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is, Jesus told the woman at the well. A Samaritan. I love this chapter of John because it tells me that salvation is not for any particular race of people. The Samaritan woman was a half-breed, a mixture between Jew and non-Jew. She was not a pure race. She was a half-breed. I'm glad God saves people who are half-breeds, aren't you? If you've watched any old westerns, you'll see one sooner or later that has somebody as a bad person because they're a half-breed. Part white, part non-white. They're no bad people. Red, yellow, black, or white. Jesus Christ died for people. I don't care who they are. And John chapter 4 tells me so. He loved this woman. Not only in spite of the fact she was a half-breed, He loved her in spite of the grossness of her sin. He said, bring me your husband. Go call your husband. Why did he do that? He's going to expose everything. She said, I don't have a husband. She thought she was out of it. He said, I know. But you've had how many? Five husbands. And you decided, I guess, with this one, you didn't need to marry him. You're just living with somebody. The man you now have is not your husband. Now, I'll tell you, that's a woman searching for happiness and has never found it. She has been searching for happiness. Listen carefully with all your heart. Listen with all your heart. A husband will not bring you happiness. A wife will not bring you happiness. If you want true, lasting, enduring happiness, find it in Christ. I know I've counseled too many people who were madly in love when they got married, but it didn't take very long for that madness in their love to wear off. And now they're just mad. I can tell you, this kind of love that the world gets caught up in doesn't last. It doesn't make people happy. If that were true, Hollywood would be... Man, they've got plenty of it there. But they're not happy people. They're searching, 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 searching. Well, this one's not making me happy. I'll find another one. He will or she will. Nah, your happiness must be on God's terms. And I'll tell you, He brings happiness. He brings delight and joy that lasts forever. This woman was converted. Jesus said, if you want to be in true worship, he said the Father seeks people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. 
They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now let me show you something that I think is critical. And no other book of the Bible makes this statement. People are worshiping all around the world in various religious forms. But there's only one way to worship God. You worship Him in truth and through the Spirit. There's no other way. Jesus said so. And this sets the stage for what will show up in John chapter 14. That's the verse where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God seeks such to worship Him in truth. You can't worship God without Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. Now, let me go to chapter 5. In this chapter, Jesus begins making the case that He and the Father in heaven are one God. Now, the Holy Spirit's part of that as well. That's not vital in this particular situation. Let's look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill Him because He not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was His Father, making Himself what? Equal with God. They rejected Him because of that. And most are still rejecting Him today for the same reason. Because He made Himself one with Almighty God by linking Father and Son together. Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of Himself but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. One without the other is not God. Whatever I'm doing, the Father does. What I see Him do, I do. One and the same. One Godhead. Verse 21, for as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. Jesus raised the dead as well. What His Father did, He did and could do. The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now let me put this one down real quickly. A reason why we use the Gospel of John is that everyone will face judgment one day, and everyone must know who their judge is going to be. Their judge will be Jesus Christ. That will disturb many but it will be there nonetheless. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's a great salvation verse. And it's connected to the fact that Jesus and His Father are one and the same God. Inseparable. We give the book of John to show what the facts are about who God is. Verse 36, But I have a greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do. Bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. The Father Himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. Ye have not His word abiding in you, for whom He hath sent him ye believe not. It's this simple. God is of such, and I search for a word to use. We know He's Spirit, and that's impossible for us to totally comprehend. We don't even consciously think of the fact that that's what we are, living in a body. And when death comes to these bodies, it's not the death of us. It's that our spirit departs from these bodies. But we are spirit as well. But a spirit that came from God when God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And he became a living soul. 
in this passage of Scripture, it's clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that no one will ever hear God's voice or see God if they bypass Jesus Christ. That's how simple it is. And Christ begins making the case here in this fifth chapter that if you're going to get to God, you must come through Me. You've rejected Me sent by the Father and you're not going to find answers if you don't come through Me. And then here in the book of John is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Verse 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. I, Jesus, I love Thee. Why would a songwriter write such words? Because they've come to realize what genuine salvation is. Oh, how I love Jesus. Let me ask you, how precious is He to you? We want to give this person to the world. We want to show this person to the world. We choose the book of John to send this information about this person, this being, to the ends of the world. Ronald Reagan's been referred to as a great communicator. No one in all the world has communicated like Jesus. He's the great communicator of all communicators because He communicates the message of who God is. He's the mediator between God and man. The only access to God is through Him. He said in John, we'll get to this at another time, I am the door by Me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He said everyone that tries to get in by some other way, they're a thief and a robber. There's only one access, and that's through Christ. I love to tell people to analyze the New Jerusalem. It has four walls and twelve gates. I said, which gate is a Gentile gate? There is no Gentile gate to the New Jerusalem. How many of you are Gentiles? Would you raise your hand? How are you going to get in? There's no gate for you. There is no gate for a Gentile anywhere around that you can find. There's only the twelve tribes of Israel on those twelve gates. But I'll tell you what, one of those gates is the tribe of Judah. And my Savior came through the tribe of Judah. And He's the one I'm getting in through. My access into the New Jerusalem is through Jesus Christ of the tribe of Judah. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And when I get there, someone says, which tribe are you from? I'm connected to Judah through Jesus. And I won't even have to say, open sesame. The gate will open because Jesus Christ is my way in. And I don't care if you're male, female, red, yellow, black, or white. I don't care what your race background is and what the connections may be. Jesus Christ is the only Savior in all the world, for all the world. And no book tells it quite like the book of John does. That's why it's so important. Now, wouldn't it be a shame for us here to print Gospels of John, to send around the world, and then you miss the Savior right in the midst of it all? Is there anyone in here who's never trusted Christ? You've never bowed your knee before Him and said, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I acknowledge I need a Savior. And you're the only one who can save me. And I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Be my Savior now. Be my Lord, my Master now. I give my life, soul, being, everything to You. Take my sin. I can't get rid of it. But You paid for it at the cross. And I'm glad You did. I know You came to this world as the eternal Son of God, as a Lamb, to take my sin upon You as a sacrifice. 
at the Passover sacrifice. And what a blessed Passover it was when He was slain. My sins are gone. As the chorus writer wrote, Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. And they are. Buried in the deep blue sea. That's good enough for me. My sins are gone under the blood of Christ. What a Savior. I want us to open our songbooks to hallelujah. What a Savior. I want them to play, and I'm simply going to read verses until we get to the last verse. And if there's anyone, I appeal to anyone here this morning, man, woman, boy, or girl, who needs Christ as your personal Savior, and you've never bowed your knee to Him to accept Him, I want you to slip out when we sing the last verse. Give your heart to Christ. If you're saved and not 100% yielded to Him in your life, do it today. He's worthy. Listen to the words. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame, scoffing rude, in my place condemned, he stood. Seal my pardon with his blood. Boy, what a pardon that is. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty. Vile. And helpless. We are. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Finished. Finished. Now, for nearly 2,000 years in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That's what we have to offer to the world. That's what's in the book of John. Let's print millions of them and send them. If they get thrown in the trash, they are rejecting the greatest and the only way of salvation. And it will be a judgment against them one day. Let's print them in the millions and send them to every corner of the globe. He's worthy to be known. Let's sing the last verse. Will you respond this morning? Come on. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransom home to bring, then our new song will sing. What a Savior! I appeal, I plead. Please don't reject Him. This is how seriously important He is to your existence. If He, out of being rejected, 
were to say, no more grace, no more mercy. I'll tell you what would happen to each of you who've rejected Him. You've seen the technical effects, the modern creative effects that Hollywood does, of how body just disintegrates, melts into nothing. By Him, the Bible says, all things consist or hold together. You would totally disintegrate into nothing if He were not present. If He were to take your breath, you would cease to exist. I plead and I appeal, please do not reject Him. And if you've trusted Him as your Savior, search the Scriptures until you can find every detail, every bit of information, everything you can find in the Bible about who He is and what He is. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And He's coming. Let's sing it one more time. Watch me when I get to the chorus. He's coming. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed home to bring, then a new this song will sing. Hallelujah! 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 What a Savior! Let the heart open wide. Let Him fill every little space available so that you're totally full of who He is. And that's the book of John. It tells me about Him. Who He is. What He came to do. And that's only in five chapters. It gets better as it goes along.